Welcome to the Book of Mormon Central Come Follow Me podcast with your hosts, Lynn Wilson and John Cho. Hello. Good to be with you again. Yeah. So we're still in Isaiah. Yep. Best book ever. Yeah. Happy, Happy to, to be, be here. here. That's right. <laughs> Happy to be in Isaiah. Um, we're covering roughly f- chapters 40 through 57. Um, and again, our three key questions here is how does this bring me closer to Christ? How does the Book of Mormon help me understand the Old Testament? And how does this help me live a more Christ-like life? You know, it's such a blessing to be doing Isaiah chapters today that are also in the Book of Mormon, so we can see some of those differences. Hmm. We mentioned earlier that a third of Isaiah is included in the Book of Mormon, but the majority of those verses have been changed. And seeing those changes, as I mentioned earlier, not only allows us to see the plain and precious things that have been taken away, but also sees how it applies to us. So many of those things that are added fit into the context of the Book of Mormon, fit into the context of the Restoration or the Second Coming. And um, But these chapters, we have a few of them that are also in the Book of Mormon, and we'll, I'll point those, we can go through those in Second Nephi as well, or some of them are even First Nephi. But one reason why I love this section so much is it covers the suffering servant, or mm. even the servant songs. They, they often refer to the Messiah as the person who's going to be this um, redeemer or savior or this anointed one who's Someone going to come. strong. Yes. Yeah. And um, in the Jewish world, about a hundred years before the savior, they were so fed up with the um, Greeks and the, now the Romans are coming in. And so they, they comb through their, their scriptures and they pull out all these prophecies about the Messiah and they collect them together in a booklet called the Psalms of Solomon. And in there, they delineate um, these marvelous things to look for, but never do they include the servant sections. They just read these portions of Isaiah to refer to Israel. Israel is the servant of God, not that God would come as a servant. And they certainly didn't include the suffering servant chapters. But today, um, in this section, chapters 42, 49, 50, and then half of 52 through half of 53 are all these servant songs. And they're absolutely my favorite sections of the book of Isaiah. So I'm thrilled to be able to look at them as not only types of our Savior, but as examples to how we can also behave as better disciples, mm. you know, guidelines for us. Anything you wanted to review from the yeah. past about the Book of Mormon? Well, one thing that popped in my head was actually from the New Testament okay. when you were talking about this, about, especially about the servant leadership, is he's as greatest among you, so be your servant, right? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad so, you mentioned that because Jesus also said, I came to serve and not to be served. Or I came to minister and not to be ministered unto. Yeah, which is, you know, when you put it in the context, what you just did, that's a revolutionary idea. Oh, especially to, in this world where the hierarchy, you know, you've got yeah. Caesar at the top if you're in the Roman world, you know, or you've got the high priest at the top if you're in the Jewish world, but a, a very serious uh, social ladder to climb here. And everyone has their place and women and children and slaves and servants are on the bottom ladder. Right. And so I, this is absolutely preparing those who are looking, who have ears to hear, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And eyes to see when you read this, that that's the, that's the person you're looking for, not the next Caesar. Well, right? And it's easy for us to say that now. But, yeah. you know, the Jews did not see that as they combed through Isaiah and 
Deuteronomy and every, everywhere else. You know, they just yeah, didn't, they were not expecting it. that, that, that babe in Bethlehem to be their conquering Messiah. You know, they expected the man on the horse to take down the Romans. And I think that's one reason why the death was so difficult for them is they didn't understand. And that's why, of course, we're told that the Savior had to explain it to them. And this is why I think the Savior quotes some of these chapters in 3 right, Nephi. Because right. I'm afraid more the Israelites in who had been getting these chapters from the brass plates did not see it either. And mm. so he was going to say, okay, I, I came not only to restore the higher priesthood, the higher law, to restore sight to the blind. I came not only to make all these grand changes in the world and to provide life after death, I, I also came to teach masters how to serve and to teach you that just what you said, to be the greatest among you is to be the servant of all. Well, and to lead the way. I mean, I just, I look through history and it's just absolutely changed the course of history for the better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those that adopted that mentality. Well, let's let's jump into 42 then, because it yeah. starts right out in, in this servant song by describing um, this servant. Do, do you want to read one and two and three or something? Yeah, actually, the first, first, the first line three. here goes exactly what we're talking about, just in yeah. different words. Yeah, the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, 42 verses one and two. Behold my servant, uh, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And we know that the Savior said, I do nothing but what I've seen my father do. Yeah. And then he says, I do nothing that will offend my father. And so it's interesting to me, is this the father talking to Isaiah? Or is it the premortal Christ just speaking of himself in earth life in a different way? But whoever's doing the talking it's such a blessing in the restoration and after the fact to look back and say, this is talking about the extra portion of the spirit that Luke mentions Christ received as he grew in wisdom and stature and knowledge and in favor with God and man. Yeah. Okay. Verse two, keep going. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. You know, there's not too much boisterous about his coming yeah. until the triumphal entry is right. there. I guess the cleansing of the temple would have been a little um, um, on that side, but the, yeah, he was, he did. the opposite. You know, he does he miracles and says, don't, don't tell anybody. Right. Yeah. Let's just these keep amazing this things and. No, yeah. this is one-to-one. -one. This is between me and you. Yeah. Or if it's the feeding of the 5,000, they don't come back when he says, I want you to change your hearts. And they say, no, thanks. We'd just like a free meal. Well, I'm sure many did not. <laughs> Some did. Okay, keep going. Verse three is beautiful too. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax uh, shall he not quench. He shall so, bring forth judgment unto truth. This, this idea that he's not going to be boisterous and grandiose is consistent here because a bruised reed, so I thought of that just initially as, okay, so he, he's, he can't even, he's not even going to hurt a, a, a plant, you know, mm. but as I turn, as I did a little more research, uh, reeds were used if you didn't have a, pe a pen or a, a quill, um, to use as a pen, you know, these hollow marsh plants, mm -hmm. um, they could use to suck up the ink. And so then you would use that. So this reed you'd use as a pen, but if they're old and crushed, it, it no longer has that suction ability. And so it's worthless. And then th the idea of smoking flax is this older wick. Do you remember the um, little olive oil or 
little dishes that they used to have the lights in um, from this time. Have you been to any archaeological museums or Israel, whatever, these these little clay lamps that they would hold on? If, if you had a wick in there that no longer... Um, the flax is is burning out. You're just going to get a lot of smoke and not a lot of light. You know, if there if there's not any flax or not any um, wick left, you're not going to get any light. And so, in that context, they don't see you know they see him as, as an old bruised reed or as a smoking, not even giving light. You know, they they just have a totally different image of what they're expecting. You know, they, it's it's not that at all. This is a servant who. Um, very different image. Keep going. Verse 4. He shall not fail nor be discouraged, for he hath set judgment in them, and isles are wait for the fire. And remember, isles in Hebrew is coastlands. Um, so everyone around the world, or everyone on the coastland, whatever, will wait for his law. But this is so exciting. The servant will not fail. Christ will fulfill his mission as the servant of all. And he magnifies it with justice and mercy. And I just, no matter how far away the people live, God will be able to care for them and cover them. And this servant um, will hearken to God's law. He will do all his father asks him to do. And I think in verse 5, um, as Latter-day Saints, we interpret our Creator as our Savior. So this is our Creator too. Do you want to keep mm. going? The saith God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth, that which cometh out of it, He that giveth breadth, uh, breadth unto the people upon it, and the Spirit to them that walk therein. You know, as I look at these verses, I see statements about Jesus' mission. Mm. Did, you, did you see there about the bread and the walking thereon and providing? It's interesting to just... Go slowly. Read this. Well, and for you see carefully. is the Isles of the Law, which you just mentioned, which immediately, of course, is the Book of Mormon. Think of at least of that, the, because at there's least. other sheep too. Others, yeah. yeah. So the rest of the world, um, and then, like you said, uh, the LDS Restored Version very clearly. This is this reads very naturally, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, to people who have who the restored gospel. Yeah, and when we talk about a keep, think of a castle keep. It's a place of security and a, 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 a place where the country could be held together, yeah. um, where the king would be held together at least. Um, and then, as you know, in all the miracles in the Old Testament, no one could yet heal the blind. So look at verse 7. This is so beautiful to see how it's fulfilled in our Savior here. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and then that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Yeah. So we're not only opening the blinds, but I believe here this prison work is also the spiritual. Yeah, um, that was the first thought I had too. Spirit prison is what we refer to it as. And all those since the time of Adam who have passed away have not been able to be resurrected. We had to wait for the first fruits of the resurrection. And also all those who need still healing and forgiveness through the atonement. It's it's really touching um, to see and I also don't think he's just talking about, um, I think it's spiritual blindness as well as physical blindness. And that's why he has to keep teaching us and we have to keep learning. Um, I think it's First Nephi, I mean, excuse me, First Peter chapter 3 that talks about Christ teaching in the uh, yeah. um, those that are passed yeah. away as well as, of course, section 138. 
I think section 76 talks about it too. Um, to bring them out of the prison house. It's, it was, oh, I bet they were so excited. And then, of course, I think we share with the Lord's work there as we do vicarious temple work. It's such a blessing to be able to go back now. I think a little bit, this, this is a thought about, and this is a very specific case, but about debtor's prison, right? Mm. Which we don't have a concept of today. Mm-hmm. But back then... But we still read Dickens. We, we yeah. get it. We get it. <laughs> we remember. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I like that idea. That's the image that shows up. You know, people in prison aren't always... Um, it's not just for the afterlife. It's for this life too. Yeah. Well, even just the symbolism of, of you know, re, the, re, the redemption of a debt, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, that resonates as well. Yes. And the darkness that that causes. Certainly all of us have yeah. been guilty of that. And I just think these verses, the Lord's just identifying himself and his mission all the way through verse 9. Mm. Um, and these from one to nine is this servant song mm. in chapter 42 and the rest of the chapter, it beautifully describes this new song mm-hmm. that's going to come forth and that will sing praises to the Lord. And the idea of a new song has been mentioned multiple times in scripture, but do you remember section 84? of the Doctrine and Covenants, in, that's the Oath and Covenant of the Priesthood section, says once you get the priesthood, once you become priests and priestesses, once you are ready, you will be able to sing a new song. I think it's talking about making the covenants in the temple. And the new song is then given in the text. It's section 84, starting about verse 98, and then it continues on. I, I, 99 through 102, I think, are, are the verses of the, of the text of that. But these This song is just filled with hope and praise and joy. And in the Psalms, when we were reading them a few weeks ago, I just had a greater desire to praise the Lord because I had been thinking about it more. And I see Isaiah doing the same thing. We need to just praise his holy name in all we do, in in our thanks and in our worship. I noticed in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, he spends one third of his prayer praising his Father. So uh, that's our example. We can add a little more praise to our prayers too. I, I think that's actually really, really important. You know, over the last several months, just for me personally, some, something that's really helped me in my scripture study is a house to call maybe just a recentering, just realizing re-centering. where realizing where I am. And I think that's how do you not praise God. and be grateful mm-hmm. for everything you have if you sit and just think for a minute about. You know, capture blessings. blessings. But also but very take, humble take the time to look yeah. where we are. That's yeah. exactly right. And you can see the hand of the Lord in your life and you can see the hand of the Lord directing you in your future. Yeah, that's been so fulfilling and so important. Um, Good for very you, John. Actually. Oh, great. You know, so Well, I think I Isaiah that. is energizing. So I'm, I'm, what did you love in this um, chapter 42? I shared with you what I loved. Yeah, so um, if I may, you know, I started in 40, kind of just read through. And in 41, you see some of the hymns mm-hmm. that we sing. Mm. Uh, some of my Mitch Campaign's favorite hymns, you know. Let's hear it. How firm a foundation, right? And that's yes. 41 verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee, right? Be not dismayed. Terrific. That is is a statement of deliverance and, and power, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I love this in these chapters of, of, you know, the servant leadership that there's still leadership, you know, fear not, mm-hmm. 
but I'm here to serve you. You, you see the Savior in his personality coming out. Well, I, in I these love chapters. this idea of a strong servant. Yeah. You know, very your, capable. Your foundation is but firm, but yeah. that's why I really go back to the idea the Savior is trying to teach masters how to serve. Mm. You know, he, he. it's not that he doesn't want us to be capable, it's that he wants us to be able to serve one another. To me, that's really living the law of consecration is when we have that mentality of we're all here to serve each other. One of my favorites, um, I guess, analogies is this imagery of a, of a leader as a gardener, right? Can I create mm, ground mm. That, that people can excel in? And I've absolutely had bishops and sake presidents who have excelled at that role. I've been very lucky in that mm, regards. And I think it starts here, but gardener specifically, you know, it is, is, is uh, imagery for me in this. Do you want to, do you want to read that one? 42, 23? Yeah. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will hearken and hear That's for the enough. time to come? Yeah. Just ask yourself these, every question in the scriptures I try to ask myself. Um, who, who's going to listen to the prophet's voice? It was just as hard to obey Isaiah and understand Isaiah as it was to follow a, you know, whoever the living prophet is the hard one to follow. It's easier to follow the dead ones than the living ones because they address real issues for us anyway. Beautiful. Yeah. And then he ends up with a destruction, a fire, the complete devastation. Look at verse 25 of um, the area, the burning of Israel because they did not hear God's warnings. But then he goes on in 43 to start talking about the future blessings of Israel and not only do we get that promise of freedom from Babylon in verse 14 and all those beautiful prophecies. Um, actually, let me, let me talk about that before I go into the restoration. When biblical scholarship began um, in, to grow in the 19th and 20th century, and they saw these prophecies about things that happened way after Isaiah's time, looking into their returning from Babylon— and that Isaiah is prophesying of this, and there's a man named Cyrus, and Isaiah is prophesying about this, they say that had to be written later. So it's very popular in biblical scholars to talk about Isaiah 1, Isaiah 2, and Isaiah 3. And they're different Isaiahs. They're written in different times by different people. But as Latter-day Saints, we know everything in the Book of Mormon was on the brass plates. We know that if Isaiah 53 is in the brass plates. It was finished before 600 BC. It was finished way before that because that's when Lehi sent his sons up to get it and the book was already in right. Laban's hands. So um, I, I don't want to go into the arena of discussing textual innuendos because I know the texts have been heavily edited. I, I'm, I'm good enough... Hebrew scholar know that, but I really am grateful that we have the Book of Mormon to testify that Isaiah, um, that we have in the Book of Mormon at least, was written all before, and that included um, this chapter and other chapters that have been believed to be elsewhere, um, written later by other people. But he prophesies here about Babylon, and that's why I brought it up is because this is this is now supposedly in 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 Second Isaiah. They don't think this is the original Isaiah. But I love looking at verses, um, chapter 43, verse 18 to 20. Because I think the Lord is prophesying of the restoration here. These new things. Do you, do you want to read 18 or 19? Yeah. Uh, 43, 18, 19, mm -hmm. right? Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. 
Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Yeah, yeah. Can you just see our our pioneers making their way yeah. across and our Mormon battalion making their way across? Anyway, it's just just beautiful. Chapter 43 also is this magnificent chiasmus. Mm. And Brother Ludlow is the one who had pointed it out to me um, in one of his commentaries. Verse 1 starts out with the Lord calling Israel to the past. And then chapters, um, verse 18 to 21, talks about these new things that are going to happen to bless the chosen people. And that's where the way it continues to pattern. It's how the, it was in the old and then how it will be in the new. The second thing that's pointed out is this protection given through fire and water. That's verse 2. And then in verses 16 and 17, that water and fire are powerless before the Lord. Um, verse 3 it gives four titles for the Lord. And the same thing in verse 14. We have, or excuse me, verse 15. We have four beautiful titles. Verse 3 and 4, Israel is ransomed from the West or Egypt. And then in verse 14, Israel's um, freed from the East, Babylon. Right. You know, they come back from the East. It, it's just a beautiful chiasmus here. Verse 5 and 7, they promised um, gathering the covenant Israel. And we see the same thing again in verse 13, where everything since the beginning testifies of God and none can stop the Lord's work from gathering. Um, it's also interesting, the word testimony is the same as witness. You know, the, in Greek and Hebrew, those two are like synonymous. And also in verse 8 and 9, let the nations produce witnesses. And then here's the beginning of the testimonies of God's work. So that's probably consistent. And then verse 10 is consistent with verse 12. The Israelites are God's witnesses. Um, and then in verse, the center of the chiasmus, verse in 11 and 12, I am the Lord. There is no other Savior. And there are to be no strange gods among Israel. That's what he's trying to teach. And so among these sides of deliverance and witnesses and so on. Yes. The center of that chasmus is our Savior. It's the declaration that he's the Savior. Yeah. And unambiguously. Unambiguously. Look at verse 11. I am Lord. There is no other Savior. It's yeah. just perfect. Well, we better jump ahead. Let's let's go to the next. Um, well, should we go to the next suffering servant chapter? Do you want to do something on 48, 49? Yeah, let me mention one thing in 43 before I yeah, go on. Yeah, because right as here. we go read ahead. this, and then we'll, we'll jump ahead. Okay. I want to revisit 18 and 19, you know, room reading all the former things about the restoration. Mm -hmm. I think when we were reading these, what I was thinking of was this was the Savior coming in, restoring. You mentioned the you know modern restoration, but even in the New Testament, if I'm reading this as someone who's in the temple studying this, I think my heart is softer for when the Lord is effectively restoring the gospel, right? From from the original yes. law, right? Yes. And then I will make a way in the wilderness and, and rivers in the desert. I think of John the Baptist, right? Oh, so it's prophesying um, of both. So I see both. At uh, least the restoration two. And, yes. the, and the, and the oh, New Testament, great. the coming of the Savior himself. That's where my mind went. Scripture has multiple levels of interpretation, and I feel like that is what makes it so fabulous, just like the Lord's parables. Yeah, that's the effectiveness of a symbol. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do that. That's great. Uh, so jumping ahead, where are we jumping ahead to? Well, if we, I just hate skipping over 48 because the poetry is so beautiful that you can probably appreciate that on their own. It's, it's interesting. Um, Isaiah 48 and 49 are the first two chapters that I... Um, Nephi uses in the Book of Mormon. The first two mm. Isaiah chapters he quotes. 
And you can see some parallels that Lehi's family seems to fulfill these verses. And since we want to mm. emphasize how the Book of Mormon is a good commentary to the Old Testament, I wanted to just touch on some of those because um, Nephi repeatedly quotes Isaiah in the small plates. But these first few chapters, I almost see them as his family. You know, he he hopes that his people will believe in the Redeemer and um, it just fits into his long-term perspective. I think, you know, he's so frustrated with his with his relationship with his brothers. And then he inserts this here and chapter 48 in this beautiful poetry and, and rhyming ideas discusses that the house of Jacob is going to be declared and that they will hear the Lord. Mm. And so there's hope that his his posterity will make it, will keep it, will save it, will treasure it. And interestingly, in First Nephi chapter 20, as Joseph was going through the Book of Mormon after the first and second editions in 1840, he added a little commentary on this and he referred to 48 verse 1 or Isaiah 48 verse 1 or um, in in the Book of Mormon, First Nephi 20. Um, the waters of Judah refer to baptism. So interesting. Okay. Joseph added that in as a parenthetical, which is very interesting um, because, of course, they're doing the mikvah baths um, later on as they return right. from Babylon. And they did have cleansing baths before, but there is so many parallels between a mikvah cleansing and a baptismal. Um, entering into cleansing into the covenant. So that's an interesting addition there. But I love, um, I think the Babylonian destruction and calling back and coming back is pretty easy to read there. So let's just move up to the next suffering servant section, which is in chapter 49 of Isaiah. And as I mentioned, it's also in 2 Nephi 21. It's just that next one. And Nephi sees himself, I'm sure, as a branch of remnant Israel that's referred to here as um, this next servant song talks about Israel as the messenger. And I think God is speaking, but he adds an extra message about one who's called from the womb. Hmm. And of verse course, five. we know our Savior, verse 5, yeah, we know our Savior was, but I also feel like that could be Israel that could be Isaiah. That could be Nephi. That could be you and me. Hmm. I mean, this is testifying of a pre-mortal state. Before we take our first breath, we we had a relationship with our God. So this is powerful because amongst all other Christian and Judaic faith traditions, we are the only ones who believe in a pre-mortal existence with our God. So this is, is fabulous. Anyway, um, we know our Savior is named from the womb, um, in Luke, we're told both Mary uh, from Angel Gabriel gets that name, but here in in Isaiah forty nine, his mission is proclaimed, and um, it's it's really a, a fabulous um, and beautiful little section there. Why don't we dive in and, and look at um, verse two? Do you want to start there with that dual meaning on forty nine two? Yeah, forty nine verse two. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword, in the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft in his quiver he hath hid me. So if we want to be polished by the Lord, we've got to get used to hard times yeah. and a few rough things happening. But we also have to 
um, realize that the polishing is going to be worth it. I think when I hear sharp sword, especially in in reference to a prophet or mm-hmm. or you know in this case the savior, the savior, mes- mm-hmm. Messiah. I think of the whole armor of God from the Book of Mormon, right? Oh, and the sword is truth, right? Great. The sword is always truth. That's what he used. That's his weapon. Is simply. The truth. Oh, that's and it shows beautiful. up in the previous chapters we've talked about even today. Oh, I love it. As well. You know, this verse is also quoted by Joseph. He says, he's backed by mobs, blasphemy, licentiousness, corrupt men and women, all hell, knocking off a corner here and a corner there. Thus, I became a smoothed and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty. Mm. Um, this is where the phrase rough stone rolling comes from. But this beautiful imagery that Joseph says, you know, all these difficult things that happened to me, all this priestcraft and everything, it's all, it's all for good. It reminds me of section 122, verse seven, when he's in Liberty jail, um, all these things will be for thy good. All this experience is what we want to have happen. But as we continue on with the servant, go to verse three, it's of chapter 49, Isaiah. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Um, he's a servant who glorifies his father, and then his father turns and glorifies him. We've got a voice change as well, going back and forth. Who's calling who the servant? So it's a little bit tricky in verse 4 and 5 and 6. Um, but why don't we just keep going on with with 6 if you can. Actually, for, starting in verse um Five, we already read about the premortal. So verse six. And he said, it is, a th- it is a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I read some other translations of that. And I think he's saying, is it a like thing? You know, is, mm. I think, I think it's because yeah. there's, there's not necessarily punctuation in the ancient Hebrew, you know. So he's saying, if I'm calling you as a servant, do you think that's, do you think that's, li- if I'm calling you into the nursery, if I'm asking you to um, make, help your in your cleaning, you know, if I'm asking you to do a menial labor, is that a light thing? You know, but really he's asking all of us, but he's also talking about, of course, our savior, Jesus Christ. Is it a light thing to do this, to be a servant? But as far as the prophet's concerned, it's really powerful to me. Israel, is it a light thing that I allowed you to make covenants in the temple? Do you treat it lightly? Yeah. Anyway, it's a fascinating way to interpret it for both the Lord and the ancient Israelites and ourselves. And then again, we've got this beautiful freeing the prisoners in verse nine. Maybe we should start, just read from seven to nine. They're gorgeous. I love yeah. it. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to whom man despiseth, to whom, sorry, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because the Lord uh, because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Yeah. And I think this is why it was confusing. If the kings are going to arise, it can't be this um, this stonemason or this builder from Nazareth. You know, they, it's a second coming as well as to Israel and others. It's, it's, this it makes a lot of sense of why they would leave it out, what you mentioned earlier, because, okay, Redeemer because of Israel, you know, in context, I'm thinking, you know, all of these redeemers, go to the, yeah. the enemy and, and take us back. Right. Yeah. Militarily, this is what happens in the history of Israel. Yeah. Exactly. Because um, that's what's happened in their history yeah. with, you know, from David on, right? Yeah. But we um, also get beautiful images of the crucifixion too. Yeah. Um, when they talk about in verse 17, is it, is it, Yes. Is it 17? I think. 
You want to read that one? Uh, 16. 16, good. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. And I want to read myself the verse that talks about that before because it gives such beautiful context. He's here talking about the, 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 that I've called you and you're not be, you're not appreciating me, but I just want you to know how connected I am. And so he uses this exquisite, I think in my mind, one of the most um, tender pictures of love is a woman and a nursing child. Now I'm a woman. So for me, that is really something that is, is heart wrenching. So for the Lord to say, can a woman forget her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb is just, no, you cannot, you, you love that child so much that you will get up in the middle of the night. You will um, do anything you can to keep that little one um, going. And the Lord says, yay, they may forget. And there are some, there are some who, who may, there are some, unfortunately, um, who, who do not appreciate motherhood and who do not appreciate their children. Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget thee. So it just puts context in the, I have graven thee on the palms of my hand. You know, he is our nursing father um, spiritually, but he is the suffering servant who has had our images engraved through his hands, through the crucifixion, the signs of the crucifixion. And I think it's back in 22, Isaiah, where it talks about a nail in the sure place. Mm. And in the time of the Roman Empire, when a crucifixion was used by the thousands, um, if, if, the, if the weight of the body tore, they added a second nail. And it was usually right in the antecubit, right here, you know, right in the in the wrist, but hard, hard to um, to think about it, that kind of pain and suffering for our Savior. But what a beautiful portion! Our next suffering servant comes in fifty, and then fifty-two and fifty-three. So they're just these beautiful little portions. Do you want to jump ahead and we'll to emphasize those? Yeah, let's look at it. All right. So in Isaiah fifty. Let's start with verse, um, well, it's this beautiful call that the Lord gives um, in verse 6. Can you read Isaiah 50, verse 6? I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. When I started doing research on the Roman slave culture, there's a whole encyclopedia on slavery and Roman world. The word slave and servant is the same word, but the way that they could differentiate between if someone were a runaway slave or if they were a servant, because um, everyone is released by age 30 or 35, depending on which province in Rome you lived in. Well, not everyone, because you, you could choose to be a servant for life. But under the Roman law, servants were to be released at age 30 or 35. But the way you could tell if it was a runaway slave is you would look at their back. And if there were scars on the back, it's a slave. And in that verse six, I gave my back to the smiters. Our savior was scourged and the sign of a slave was embedded in his body at the death. You're just going through these chapters so far. You just, you get this clear picture that we take for granted because we have the New Testament, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But clearly someone, we mentioned this before, but someone who is, 
eminently powerful mm-hmm. and completely submissive. Yeah, 10. Who's among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. And there's the answer. And he goes on, Behold ye that kindle the fire and compass yourself about with the sparks and the light. You know, it's our, it's our, the light is the, the light of the world as Christ identifies himself in the Gospel of John. Just beautiful. The next suffering servant verses come in um, Isaiah 52. And so much of them have been taken to the music of Handel's Messiah. And you'll, I just can't help but want it to sing it as we go through this. But starting in verse 13, let's go through some of those beautiful verses. As many as were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. You know, when we talk about a marred visage, um, it doesn't really make sense to me because I, I kept thinking many people had been crucified and many people had been scourged. I don't know how many had a crown of thorns placed on their heads. But anyway, that, that word was sort of puzzling to me. So I opened up my Hebrew and um, it can also be translated, interestingly, anointed. Okay. It is not the word that we usually use in the temple for anointing, but it can be translated that way. So his visage was of the anointed one, which is is an interesting interpretation there um, that I got from Paul Hoskinson and setting a little Hebrew on that one. And then it um, continues on into chapter 53. It just, the, all these verses all the way down. So his visage is marred. And then um, the chapter 53, who hath believed our report? Who is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before them as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. You know, it's not the things that they're looking for. You know, I don't think this means he's not a, a, a fabulous human physique. I think it means... He doesn't fit socially in our culture. He's not what we are desiring. And um, no one's going to believe my report. But we can also look at this in the context of Nazareth. Because the tender plant, it's a root out of dry ground. Um, Nazareth is this tiny, tiny little town at the time of the Lord. You know, about 200, 300, at most 400 people is what archaeologists are estimating now. And um, the word Nazar, it comes from one of the roots, is branch. It's okay. this little plant that is growing there. And um, they have a list of all the places that are clean enough for a priest to live in a city at the time of the Lord. And most priests live down by the temple. But Nazareth was one of those that was clean enough for a priest to live in. This branch that has come out of the temple, these group of Jews that are living there are a pure enough people. We do not have... Um, too many Gentiles in that city itself. You know, this is a, a pure branch so that a priest could live there and still be worthy to come down and work in the temple. Um, so that tender plant coming out of the root of the ground, everyone else says, oh, he's out of Nazareth. We know that he can't be the Messiah, but but actually Nazar is, is branch and it. I think it fits in beautifully here. But keep going on verse three. It just, it, you'll hear the music in your ears yeah. pretty soon. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. I think that's the Greek and Roman thought, that if you are a God, you cannot die. And if you are a God, you would never be condemned to death and be killed. You know, because you actually died, we know you were a fake. And of course, that was just Satan's um, human philosophies that he dreamed up and inspired other people to start spreading so that they would not recognize the promised Messiah because um, certainly, um, do you want to just keep going? Yeah, it's just beautiful. Yeah, Go right absolutely. Ahead. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. When I looked at some other translations, I was touched by the, he was crushed for our transgressions. Mm. Just in Hebrew, a little, you know, it brings to visualization the wine press mm-hmm. and other analogies. Mm. Oh, yeah. yes, that heavy, heavy crushing of Gethsemane yeah. as well, of course, yes. And then chastisement, everything from the whipping, the stripes, I mean, of the scourging all, all the way down. Um, but we all, like sheep, have gone astray. You know, not one of us hasn't followed the crowd sometimes. And so the Lord, our Father laid the iniquity on the Son, is how I'm reading that, but really it could be the pre-mortal Lord agreed to become Jesus and take the iniquity of us all. I, I think that's probably closer to what the Hebrew says. Twenty reads verse seven. Yeah, and he was oppressed and he fill and excuse me. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his, her shearers is so is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Do you think Isaiah had a vision of this yeah. trial? I think of Pilate. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and and Ananias and Caiaphas and um, Herod. You know all yeah. the trials that he went through. Some of the gospels have more than others, but um, everybody he stood from, um, where he wouldn't open his mouth, he was taken from prison. This is verse eight, and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut out of the land of the living. I can just imagine Isaiah's heart-wrenching experience having to watch this in vision. And perhaps we will someday too. I don't know. Well, this, this I see the imagery from the temple ordinances as well. Mm. You know, with the Days of Atonement, obviously set up for this exact reason. Mm. And this feels obviously like you have mentioned before, much more poetic and a, a version of the vision that's much more relevant to us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who don't have to slaughter lambs yes. on an altar every week, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so for, we are not as familiar. Yeah, but, so yeah. for the modern day, this this resonates much more, I think. And then verse 9, we learn about his death. He made his grave with the wicked and is rich in his death um, because he hath done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he hath put him to grief. He becomes our offering for sin. And um, it ends with verse 11's bearing the iniquity of all, and in verse 12, making the intercession for sin. He is our atoner. He is our redeemer. But we have the opportunity to serve him and work with him 
and thank him and praise him. <coughs> this has been so rewarding to go through Isaiah, not just this week, but previous weeks, um, and really see the Savior again, especially in the context of the oh, rest of the Old Testament like and the I'm, Book of Mormon. I'm slipping into the ancient world every day as I open my scriptures, and I'm just envisioning these pictures from the Savior's life come to my mind as I yeah. study Isaiah. And it helps me remember him all day long when I start my yeah. day this way. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank God you. God bless you. Bye-bye.